God is so good and we're glad he's in this house and I trust that you're taking a step in his direction today. We're in a series that we're calling Consumer or Consumed and we're talking about that idea. We're learning about the reality that consumerism, this idea that I am a consumer of worship, has kind of slipped into the church these days. And then we have to challenge that thinking, and we have to stop and think, well, what, what really is worship all about, whether we're talking about the 25 minutes or so that we do it on Sunday morning, or, or it's driving in our car, uh, looking at the sunrise, whatever it is, what is that worship ultimately all about? And we've been learning that it's not about me, it's about Him. There's a real battle uh, that's being fought, though, that started eons ago, uh, 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 that we, each one as an individual, have to struggle through, and that is, is my worship going to be about my will or his will? Is it going to be about what I want when I want it, or is it about what he wants, what he has created me for? And that's a very real battle that Satan wants very much for us to, to lose. And so, ultimately, worship is not about what you do, it's ultimately about who you are and who you're in relationship with. If you missed any of the messages, you can go to info at bridgechurch.cc. We'll give you the full manuscripts of everything we've been talking about through the series. You're welcome to do that. Let me encourage you to do that and take advantage of just kind of refreshing your thinking or getting your learning going uh, and take it to the next level. Certainly, if you missed them, I encourage you to get them. And you can follow along today by going to the Bible app uh, to events and go to church, uh, Bridge, uh, Bridge Church Princeton, and you can follow along with all the points and all the scriptures that we'll be sharing today. And if you post anything, please use hashtag consumer or consumed so we can all see what each other is doing. Let me mention again, it was in the video announcements, but this coming Friday night is designed for an, us, for an opportunity for us to come and practice some of the acts of worship that we've been learning about and to express the attitudes of worship that we've been working about and come to take ourselves to the next level of giving all to Jesus. And so let me encourage you to come Friday night, wonderful, powerful a night of worship. All of our campuses are coming together. We're going to have a wonderful time together. I hope you'll be here at 6.30. Child care for five years and under is what I'm understanding, okay? So you're going to be here, right? I got two yeses over here. Did, did, I, did you guys say yes? Okay, good. We'll see you Friday night. It's going to be an awesome time. Let's get into it. Here's what Jesus said to the woman at the well one day, John chapter 4, verse 23, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. What's the Father looking for? Is He looking for worship? No, He's worthy of worship. What's He looking for? He's looking for worshipers. He's looking for a certain kind of worshipers. He's looking for the kinds of worshipers who worship both in spirit and in truth. And that's what we've been talking about throughout this whole series. Let's remind ourselves of my favorite definition of worship from Garrett Gustafson in The Adventure of Worship. Let's read it together. One, two, three, out loud. Worship is the acts and attitudes of wholeheartedly giving yourself to God, spirit, soul, mind, and body. Now, let's just be honest right here, right now. Can we be honest in church? Do your heads like this, we can be honest in church. You can sit real still and nobody will know that this is you. I'll just say it's me, okay? I'm the only one, okay? You with me? None of us start this journey with all of the biblical acts in place, all of the attitudes right. Come on. Giving all to Jesus. We give him part of our heart and then over time give him a little more and a little more and a little more. Are you going to leave me up here wallowing like I'm the only one that goes on this journey? The fact is, it's a journey. 
It's a journey that we go on that brings us from this place where we first get to know Jesus, like frankly any other relationship that starts at a fairly superficial level and then hopefully grows to a more intimate level over time as long as it stays healthy. There is a journey that we have to go on in order to become this spirit and truth worshiper that the Father is looking for. So today, that's that's what I want to lean into. I want us to talk about the journey. I want us to get a handle on the journey. I want you to understand the journey. And perhaps most importantly, I want you to evaluate where you are in that journey. And then I want to teach you the steps to go all the way in this journey to the point that we're talking about where our acts are pleasing to the Lord, our attitudes are pleasing to the Lord, and that we are in fact giving Him all our spirit, soul, mind, and body. Is that worth a few minutes of our time? Let's understand the journey. There are three stages that I've kind of discovered over the years. I can't honestly tell you the scripture for this. I know that I can teach you. Here's a verse that backs this up. I've just been doing this for 40 none of your business years, and I've watched this journey take place. And so let me just kind of give you a glimpse into you tell me if it's true for you. I think there are three stages in the journey. Then we'll get into the steps, okay? The, the journey starts with, I ask God to fill my, fill my spiritual void. The first stage of this journey to become a spirit and truth worshiper is asking God to fill my spiritual void. Void. It begins when we recognize that there is an emptiness in our lives and it needs to be filled. Anybody ever come to that place? Anybody here? Yeah. And, and what do we do when we first discover that emptiness, that void? What do we do? We try to fill it with stuff that doesn't fit. We, we try to fill it with uh, relationships. We try to fill it with acquisitions. We try to fill it with trophies. We try to fill it with substances. We try to fill it with all kinds of stuff. And after a while... Uh, we begin to realize none of this is filling the void. The emptiness is not going away. In fact, it's getting wussa. Is that a word? Right? We come to understand that this void is a God-shaped void, and he's the only one that fits. We finally come to him saying, there is a hole in my soul, and I need to connect with the God of the universe. The Bible says that eternity is imprinted on the hearts of man from the beginning. So we know that there is a God, and we need to connect with him. And i got to tell you, most of you perhaps here, those of you that are watching online have had this experience. Many perhaps have not, and that is when you come to that place where you come to him and he fills that void, it is amazing. Am I right? Jesus called it being born again. That's not a bad way to describe it. I mean, the Bible uses other expressions for it, but that born again is pretty good because it's this idea of I get a fresh start, I get a clean slate, I get a new life, I get to start again. This time based in grace, not based in guilt. There's this wash of relief and joy and, and, and the load that's lifted, the burden is off that happens when you come to this stage. I, I got to tell you, I hit this stage 46 years ago, and I remember it vividly to this day. I mean, I remember every moment of it. Do you guys? Do you remember the moment when it went from head knowledge to heart knowledge, this reality? I had been running from God, and I was young. Understand, I was very young. I was still a senior in high school, but I was part of a band. I think I told you a couple of weeks ago I was going to be a rock star, and we had a pretty good band. I mean, our keyboardist wound up playing with Elvis, and our trumpet player wound up in Tops and Blue. I mean, we had a pretty good band. I was the weak link. I was the MC and lead singer, and so I was the weak link in the band. But nevertheless, we were going places, or at least we thought so, and, and our home church had a revival 
Uh, one night, my mom was a dedicated Christian, and she said, you going to revival this week? I said, no, Mom, Friday night is the biggest gig we've ever had. We were playing the senior dance on Friday night. we got to rehearse. we got to rehearse. So every night, I begged out a revival to go rehearse for the big gig, and Friday night came, and we did the big gig, and it was awesome, and all kinds of things happened, and I stayed up way too late and did way too many wrong things, and I got up Saturday morning not wanting to give up. Mom came into my room, and she said, you're going to church tonight, and I said, oh, Mom, I'm tired. It's been a stressful week. She said it was not a question. <laughs> you see, I understood what that meant. You will never get the family car again unless you go. <laughs> and life will be miserable for you unless you go. And I said, oh, Mom, I got a date. She said, then bring it, bring her or cancel it because you're going to church tonight. Okay, so I canceled it. No way I'm taking a girl to church. Uh-uh. I'm too cool for that, right? So I went to the church service, and, and I sat on the back row. I have no idea what the music was. Sorry, musicians, I have no idea. I have no idea what the preacher preached because I wasn't paying any attention. Sorry, uh, just that's the truth. But at the end of the time, the, the preacher said, we're going to open up the front of the church, the altars, for anybody who wants to come and pray, and if you'd like to do that, then, then please come now. And I'm sitting back there saying, oh, man, this could go on forever. And I'm never going to get out of here, and I'm never going to get the family car. But if I leave early, Mom will know. So I'm sitting here miserable. And, and people are in the altars praying, and other people are sitting. And, 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 and this guy, Holland Hughes was his name, came back to me on the back row. Older gentleman. I thought he was older at the time. He was probably my age. But anyway, you know, uh, he sat down next to this young 17-year-old boy and said, I'm not sure why, but I think the Lord prompted me to come ask you to go to the altar. And I said, that wasn't God. <laughs> I don't know where you're thinking, but no thanks. I mean, I was actually kind of mean to him, apologized later. But here I am sitting here now, so I'm not even safe. i got to stay, and I'm not even safe. They're going to come to where I am. And so I saw a group of teenagers sitting over here on the right-hand side. Maybe if I get right in the middle of that group of teenagers, I'll be safe, right? So they can't get to me in there. So when we got in the middle of that group of teenagers, and I'm sitting here saying, ah, oh, I'm safe now. I can ride this thing out till it's over. And, and, and my two really good friends high school buddies, one had gone to college, but really close friends, both of them had given their lives to Christ within the month. They're in the altar praying. One of them looked at the other and said, I think we're supposed to go talk to Jim. And he said, yeah, I think so too, but I don't know what to say. And the other guy said, well, I don't know what to say either, but let's just go. They came and crawled in the row behind me. I don't know what they said. I don't know if they said anything. They just came and sat behind me and put their hands on my shoulder. And the next thing I know, I'm in the altar and I'm giving my life to Jesus. I'm, yeah. And I just said, I'm yours. And this amazing burden lifted off of me. And, and when I finally got out of church that night, I said, Mom, can I borrow the car? She said, you want to go out tonight? I said, I just got one thing I got to do. I need to borrow the car for just a few minutes. And I went down to the place where all my friends were hanging out because I had to tell them the good news. And I drove up and said, hey, guys, I got saved tonight. And they said, saved? What, you have a car accident? And you survived it? I mean, what are you talking about saved? They had no clue what I was talking about. But I knew that everything had changed in that moment in my life. Can I tell you here and now, i got to move on, but, but can I tell you here and now, if you've not had that experience with him, can I beg you to pray for it? 
Let me invite you right now to say, Jesus, I need a fresh start. I need you to fill that void in my life. And you know what he will do? He will give you a new life, a fresh start. All you've got to do is pray that simple prayer. I don't know how to pray. It doesn't matter. Praying this prayer with a young man one time, and I said, say it in your own words. He said, I don't know what to say. I said, say what's ever in your mind. He looked up, and he hit his forehead, and he said, God, put it to me real easy right here. That's good enough. That works. <laughs> in fact, if you prayed that prayer, would you let me know? Hashtag new life to 72345 so I can pray for you this week. Or maybe you need to pray that prayer. Let me know. When you pray that prayer and you get to that place, and it'll be different for everybody. Everybody's experience is different, but there's something new that happens. It catapults you into stage two where I begin to ask God for my needs. You've stepped across the line of faith. You've got a relationship with Jesus now, and you're kind of like a kid in a candy store because something amazing, I mean, the God of the universe loves me. Are you kidding me? Wow, I can't wait for Sunday because every Sunday I discover something new, and it's, just, it's amazing. I open my Bible, and suddenly words are jumping off the page that used to have no meaning to me whatsoever. The people that used to be holy rollers are now my brothers and my sisters, and I can't wait to talk to them again. Anybody with me? And I pray, and stuff actually happens. I mean, God actually meets my needs. It's, it's amazing what happens. It's a great stage to be in, and if that's where you are, then congratulations. Enjoy the stage. Ah. Don't, in fact, don't ever stop depending, whatever stage you're in, don't ever stop depending on God for the meeting of your needs. He's a great God. He loves to give good gifts to his children. But i got to warn you, if you went to brunch, come back, okay? i got to warn you, because in this stage, it's easy for consumerism to start slipping in. And it becomes all about God meet my needs, God meet my needs, God give me this, God give me that. And if you're not careful... Uh, you'll start thinking of God as, as the candy man in the sky, and if you put the right prayers in the vending machine, you'll get your answers back, right? You'll start thinking of him as a genie, and if I rub the lamp properly, I'll get my needs met. Kind of like the guy that was walking on the beach in Florida one day, and he saw a lamp in the sand, and he he stopped and looked at it, and he picked it up, and he started to brush the sand off of it. And when he did, a genie popped up out of the lamp. Boom, big genie. And what genie went, oh, man, I've been trapped in this lamp for a 1,000 years. Thank you so much for setting me free. I will grant you one wish, anything your heart's desire, one wish. And the guy goes, wow. Um, you know what? I have always wanted to visit Hawaii, but I'm terrified of flying. Um, could you build a highway from here in Florida to Hawaii so I could drive anytime I want to. And the genie went, let's see, all the way across the Gulf of Mexico, across Mexico, across the Pacific, that would be really, really big. Uh, it, are you sure there isn't something else you'd rather have? And the guy thought for a minute, he said, well, I would really like to understand my wife. And the genie said, would you like two lanes or four on your bridge? <laughs> to Hawaii. <laughs> Hear me, guys. God loves to give good gifts to his children. Can I get an amen in the house? But he is not your candy man. Can I get an amen in the house? He is the creator and the sustainer of all life, and he's worthy of our worship. Spirit and truth worshipers at this stage, it kind of hits them eventually 
the God of the universe really does love me, and he does meet my needs, and he loves to meet my needs, but I don't just want stuff from him. I want a relationship with him. You see the difference? When you get that, you're moving into stage three of this journey, and that is I begin to ask God for a close personal relationship. Again, I'm not saying to stop asking for blessings because he loves to give good gifts to his children, but I am saying at this stage, sometimes, you tell me if it's true for you, sometimes you find yourself praying at this stage and you realize that you're not asking him to do anything, right? You're not saying, Lord, I want to know you and I have this need. Lord, I want to know you and would you provide this or that? It's just, Lord, I want to know you period. It's just this intimacy, God, I want to I be in your presence. I want to bring you glory. There's something begins to shift, and, and stage three kind of takes this shift. When you get into that shift, sometimes you're praying, and you're not even saying anything. You've been in human relationships like that, haven't you? Where it starts out in a, in a friendly kind of way and, and you think, hey, this is going to be a good friend. And so you're always thinking of the best stories to tell and you're telling each other the stories of your lives and a little bit of your background and then a funny story and an anecdote. And, and, but eventually that relationship gets so close that you don't have to tell each other stories. You're content to sit in the room and read the newspaper together. You know what I'm saying? At that level of friendship, that's where we're going ultimately in stage three. At this stage, you don't just want to come to church to get goosebumps. You want to come to church because you want to walk in his presence. You want to know his ways. You want to be in relationship with his body, his family. You want to shift from consumer, I will, I need, I want, to consumed with the presence of God. One of my favorite examples of this journey is a man in the previous church that Kim and I served who came to me one Sunday morning. Larry had spent 20 years in the drug world. He was a carpenter, and he'd managed somehow to, to, to swim in his addiction so that he maintained some levelance of employment. He'd gotten married, had a couple of kids. But, you know, after 20 years of this stuff, his health was broken, his marriage was broken, his kids were struggling, his finances were trashed. He didn't know anything about church, didn't know anything about God, but he recognized a spiritual void in his life, and somebody brought him to our church, and he met Jesus for the first time. He told me later, he said, I don't understand all this stuff. I'm just beginning to learn all this stuff. In fact, I heard you say the other day that Jesus was a Jew, and it occurred to me that my boss used to have a bumper sticker on his car that said, my boss, my boss is a Jewish carpenter, and I thought that meant he was cheap. I didn't know what that meant. That's where I started this journey. But he had an encounter with Jesus one day, and he got a fresh start, and Jesus began to fill the void that he'd been trying to fill with substances and junk. He then moved to that next level of that next stage of relationship where we began to pray with him for God to meet his needs, that his marriage would be restored, that his finances would come together, that his relationship with his kids would be healed, that he'd get financial provision. We began to pray, and God began to work in his life. Two years into the journey, 
I'm standing between services out in the lobby one Sunday morning, and Larry comes running up to me, this rough, tough, 20 years in the drug world, saved now for two years, piercings and tats and rough language and all that stuff that he'd been dealing with. He came walking up to me, and tears are flowing. They're pouring down his face, and he said, Jim, I got it. I got it. I got it today. I got it today. And I said, Larry, what did you get? He said, I'm not following you. I'm following Jesus. I said, you got it today. You got it, man. You see, he'd made it through all three stages. He'd come through that stage where he needed that void filled, and he'd come through that stage where there was immediate needs, emergent needs that he needed God to show up with, and he did, and now he'd come to that place where he just wanted to follow the Savior of his soul and make an eternal difference, and the result was that he's now poised to make a difference in a world that he can relate to that I never could because he lived in it for so long. Make sense? Three stages that we walk through. In fact, the Bible is filled with all kinds of encounters with God like that. Moses at the burning bush, Gideon, who was hiding in the bottom of a wine press when God said, Thou mighty man of valor. Who, me? What? Huh? To the prophets who got the word of the Lord to share with the nation what God was saying. To the New Testament of the book of Acts over and over and over. These encounters with God that gave them boldness to preach the good news and to tell people that Jesus was alive and well. To Paul as he went on his missionary journeys. Over and over and over again we see these encounters with God that changed everything. So I want to shift gears with you now. And in the time we have left I want to talk about the steps to get to stage three where you're actually positioned for that abundant life. You're positioned to be empowered by God to do what he put you on this planet to do. I want to help you take those steps this morning. To do that, I want to pull out one of these encounters from the Scripture and, uh, and just unpack it a little bit more. Isaiah chapter 6, we looked at it very briefly in the first or second message of this series. I want to go in more detail today. So you can turn in your Bibles or your smartphones or your apps or you can go to the Bible app. It'll be on the screens as well. But we're going to be walking through Isaiah chapter 6, beginning with verse 1 through verse 8. We're just going to break it down a little bit and see the five steps that Isaiah went through that took him to this place where God could actually work in him and through him to make a difference to the nation. Step one, simply, uh, is to see God for who he is. Come to that place where you recognize that spiritual void, and now you're going to have an encounter with the holy God of the universe. So picture these. We're not going to break it down in detail, but picture these words as we read through this verse. See if you can get this image in your mind. Isaiah 6, 1 through 4. Here we go. It's on the screens. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Can you picture that? Phenomenal robe filling the whole temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the post of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. Now, understand when I say that that you need to pray for an encounter with God, it won't necessarily be like Isaiah's encounter. Uh, You know, we turned the smoke machines on, but I didn't see any angels with six wings flying around in the room. Maybe you did. I don't know. I didn't catch them this morning. But 
The reality is that something happened when Isaiah came into this personal contact, this personal encounter with the God of the universe. Hear me. When you have that kind of encounter, the only reasonable response is to shrink back from his amazing magnificence. It kind of moves beyond hey, I like this church and I want to get involved. Hey, that preacher's pretty good. He's funny sometimes. It goes way beyond that point. Sometimes, as we said in the series, sometimes it becomes a moment of awe where you're stunned into silence and sometimes it's a moment of abandon where you have to express yourself, but always it's this amazing desire to be with him. Again, if you haven't had one of those encounters, can I beg you to pray for one? Lord, reveal yourself to me. I want to know you beyond my head all the way to my heart. But be prepared. When you have that step one encounter with God, like Isaiah, you're going to move very quickly, almost instantly, to step two, which is I see myself for who I am. I see myself for who I am. Look at verse 5. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. What happened? When Isaiah saw this magnificent God, he was stunned into silence, but very quickly that became a mirror where he saw himself for who he really was. I had a pastor tell me a story one time. Their church had built a new auditorium, and it was time for the final walkthrough with the contractor, and... Uh, and the lighting guys, the media team, got wind of that final walkthrough, so they decided they would come in to, to the auditorium, and they would get all the spotlights ready to go. And so when the pastor and the chairman of the building team and, and the contractors started to do the walkthrough, the media team's in there with the spotlights, and they're showing the spots all over the ceiling and all over the walls. And as soon as the lights came on, the contractor said, whoa, 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 stop, stop, turn those lights off. Why? What? We're just... We're just trying to see. It's kind of dark up there. And the contractor said, refer back to your contract because the contract says the final walkthrough will be done under normal lighting conditions. Now, why did the contractor want it done under normal lighting conditions? Because when you turn the lights on, you can see flaws that you never saw before. Are you tracking with me? You come into the blazing brilliance of the holiness of God and you see yourself for who you are, for real, no masks. Same pastor told me this story being on an airplane one day and he sat down next to a very attractive young lady, very well dressed, and, but she was clearly very nervous about flying and and so she was chatty. She dealt with her nerves by talking. And so she talked for the first 20, 30 minutes of the flight. She was apparently the girlfriend of an NBA star. And she talked about their lifestyle and the parties and, and the drugs and all the stuff that they did and how exciting that lifestyle was. And after about 30 minutes of kind of pouring it all out, she just kind of ran out of words. And she said, oh, you have been talking about me the whole time. Tell me about you. What do you do for a living? He said, I'm a pastor. So she immediately starts going, I'm, I'm, I, um, well, I'm not a perfect person, but I'm not an axe murderer or anything. 
right? Not so bad. And pastor said, well, yeah, I guess, I guess if we compare ourselves with an axe murderer, we all stack up pretty well. But what if we compared ourselves with uh, Mother Teresa, for instance? Or perhaps more importantly, if we compare ourselves with Jesus Christ, how do we stack up now? And she fell silent. Because there's no way you come into the presence of a holy God with any other response than to say, I am undone. I'm exposed. We've talked about David quite a bit in this series and the fact that he was a man after God's own heart and yet he was far from perfect. I think one of the reasons that David was a man after God's own heart because he kept short accounts with God. He made sure that when stuff went wrong, when he did stuff he shouldn't have done, he came back to the Lord and said, create in me a pure heart. But one of the reasons he did is because he prayed this prayer regularly. And I would encourage you to pray this prayer regularly. Psalm 139, 23 and 4. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. What is David praying? He's saying, get the media team out. Turn the searchlights on my heart. Because if there's anything in there that doesn't line up with you, I want it gone. So I'm saying don't, I'm not just saying don't be afraid of this process. I'm saying embrace it. Beg for it. God, show me anything in my life that doesn't honor you because I want it gone. At the end of the day, I want intimacy with you. Can I tell you what happens when you genuinely embrace that idea? You move into step three very quickly. Step three Step two is I see myself for who I am. Step three becomes I see myself for who I can become. Now we're starting to see because of that intimacy with God, because we didn't shun the holiness of God, we moved into it. Now we begin to see through the mirror of who he knows we can become. Verses 6 and 7, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it, and he said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. That word iniquity in the Hebrew is the word avon, that means the, the, the bent, misshapen twist that has come into your life because of sin. And he said, I'm not just taking your sin away. I'm taking your bent, misshapen twist out. Come on. One of the great tragedies that I see far too often in the modern church is that we, we talk about how much God loves you and God wants to give you a fresh start and people embrace that and they receive that. And, and I don't know, I, you know, I think... I've got on record from the last 40 years of ministry, uh, well over 10,000 people that have given me a connect card or by some means told me that they've given their life to Jesus Christ. But I've seen so many of them get this fresh start, this new beginning. Iniquity's taken away, sin's purged, but they dragged their past with them into this new life. Come on. Hello, are you awake out there? Is this microphone on? Hear me, guys, if you were defining your future by your past, then your past is not your past, it's your present. Right. 
you've got to say, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, the new creation has come. The old is gone. Somebody say gone. Look at somebody say it's gone. The new is here. Guys, stop keeping your old hurts and guilt and shame alive. That's Satan trying to keep you from fulfilling the future that God has for you. Stop it. Come on. Stop it. See yourself as you really are and confess, oh God, I am undone. But quickly let him show you who you can be in him and then lean into the future that he has for you because when you see him as he is and you see yourself for who you are and then you get a fresh start, you're ready for stage four. You ready for stage four? Stage four is, or step four I should say, is listen for his call. Now you are ready to listen for his call. Look at Isaiah 6, 8. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, this is Isaiah saying, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Do, do you see the us has a capital U? Why, anybody know why that is? It's because it's a reference to God himself, right? And so us is the triune God. You understand what he's saying? He's saying, who can I send as my ambassador? This triune God is saying, who can I send as my ambassador to the world to represent me to the world? That's why you've heard me say, till you're almost sick of hearing me say it, that worship is not ultimately about what you do. It's about who you are because we go out there, whether it's in this room or in the parking lot after service or in the workplace or wherever it is, and we represent the God of the universe. I have people all the time saying to me, Pastor, I'm just real, I just really want to know God's will for my life. You ever struggled with that one? You ever been frustrated with that one? Can I take your frustration away this morning? Can I, can I just real quick take that whole frustration thing away from you? I want to know God's will for my life. I can tell you what God's will for your life is. You think I'm crazy. I can tell you what it is. It's Scripture. I mean, God's will is found in God's Word. Here we go. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and 9. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. Verse 29. To become like His Son. What's God's will for your life? To become like Jesus. That's it. It's, it's, it's that simple. Have any of you arrived? Are you just like Jesus yet? Well, then we better keep talking. <laughs> we got work to do. And so, uh, God's will for your life is to become like Jesus. No, don't misunderstand me. Part of being like Jesus to, is to be a servant. So, I'm not saying you wait until you're just like Jesus to start serving. Well, I'm waiting to find out God's will in terms of what I do until I have become just like Jesus. Oh, I'm sorry, that's not how it works. I am saying God is more interested in who you are, but here's what I'm saying. If you focus on becoming more and more like Jesus and you make yourself available to serve, God will open the doors and give you the direction to do what he put you on the planet to do. Do I need to say that again? 
if you'll focus on becoming more and more like Jesus, He will open the doors and give the direction for you to do what it is you're supposed to be doing, even when you don't see at the time what He's doing. Can I get personal? When Kim and I moved back to Goldsboro a couple of years ago, we came to Goldsboro to be with our moms. Both of our moms were in their mid-80s and widowed and living alone, and we'd been living off in the mission field in Virginia and, you know, limited time with them, and we wanted to be near our moms. I lost my mom in September, and I'm, I'm so thrilled about the year and a half that I had with her after we moved back here. Uh, that was, that's precious, that year and a half. But that's what we came back for. As soon as we got to Goldsboro, of course, before we even got here, we said, well, where are we going to church? And I said, well, you know, Farrell Pastor is in Goldsboro, and I've been in and out of the bridge for years. Let's just go to the bridge. And Kim immediately said, yeah, well, I was hoping you'd say that because we love the bridge. And we love to be here. After we got here, we went through the owner's class, some folks that we went through the owner's class with. And, and, uh, and Kim said to me after the class, she said, so what are you going to do here? And I said, whatever they ask me to do. I don't know. He said, my focus hasn't been on what am I going to do. My focus has been on who am I going to be. And so when the opportunity to be an usher came along, I, I ushed. <laughs> Valerie only let me to do it once because when I shook the guy down for more, they said, that's not how we do it here. <laughs> but I did it, you know. I had no idea a year and a half ago that I would be standing here as your pastor. No idea. Though some of you tell me you knew way before I did. <laughs> Come on. Is that true? Oh, you understand what I'm saying? You understand why I tell you that story? It, we did not come back to Goldsboro for a job to do. We came back because of who we are. And God gave us a job to do. You focus on becoming more and more like him. Let him take care of what he wants you to do. And that's not just true in the church. That's true in your career. A lady called me one time and said, Pastor, I have an opportunity for two jobs, and I'm not sure which one to take. Can you give me some advice? And I said, well, my advice will come in the form of a question. Which one of those jobs will help you to become more like Jesus? And she said, well, I don't think there's a difference. I think either one will be about the same. I said, then pick the one you want. Because the purpose is become like him. Does that, does that simplify God's will for your life? Sort of. Because there's this journey to become more like him. My, focus, my point simply is that when you focus your idea of call on him, he'll take care of the stuff. And when he does, when he gives you direction, you're ready for step five. And I just saw the clock, so we're, running, we're winding up, I promise. And in closing, <laughs> which means absolutely nothing, but it gives you hope. <laughs> step five. You ready for step five? It's a simple one. Respond. Isaiah 6.8. Then I said, here's a need, Lord, send somebody. What? That's not what he said? 
Isaiah had been through this journey of seeing God for who he is, seeing himself for who he was, seeing himself for who he could become, focused on the call of becoming more like God, and then God began to make the call, and Isaiah's response was, here am I, send me. He didn't even have clarity in that moment on what it was God wanted him to do. It didn't matter. Because the answer, sir, is yes. Whatever the question is from you. Does that make sense? The response on the other side of the encounter then is that Isaiah was empowered to become the voice of God to the nation. But if he tried to be the voice of God to the nation before he went on this journey, this journey, he'd have been operating in his own power. How many believes he would have succeeded? Not a chance. Which brings us back to where we've started, and I've repeated over and over again through this series. What is God looking for? Worship? Nah. He's worthy of worship. The rocks and the trees will worship him if we don't. He's looking for worshipers. So really all we're saying is Romans 12.1, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is, say it with me, this is, is your, no, personalize it. This is my spiritual act of worship. One more time. This is my spiritual act of worship. Lord, I bring an offering. I am the offering. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for loving us wherever we are in this journey. Thank you if we are so far from that level of focusing on becoming more like you doesn't change the fact that you love us. But in the quietness of this moment where we're all thinking about where we are in this journey, I do pray that you would challenge us, stretch us, call us to take the next step, whatever it is. I know in a place like this and online across the world, we're, uh, we're talking to people from every walk of life, from every background, and at every level of relationship with you, Lord. But you know each of us individually, personally, intimately. So show us the next step. And give us the courage to take it. Keep your heads bowed for just a minute. Are you ready to pray with me? Simple prayer, really. But it could be a life-altering one if you do it seriously. Jesus, show me my next step. My answer to you, sir, is yes. Show me my next step. If I've never had that encounter with you, then I pray that you would give me that. 
never had that grace experience where I, I didn't just know about you, but I felt your presence wash over me, then I pray for that encounter. If I'm stuck in that encounter of wallowing in who I am, my own failings, my own huge mistakes and the tragedies that have been caused from if I'm stuck there, then show me that for real, but move me forward from that. If I'm anxious to get a glimpse of who you made me to be, then I pray, Lord, you begin to give me that vision for my life. And if I have focused on tasks and doing instead of focusing on being and becoming, help me to focus on you and become more like you. And this is huge for some of you in the room right now. I know it is. Some of you online right now, I know this is going to be huge. I hear you calling. I know what you want me to do. I'm done making excuses. I'm done saying, I see that need, Lord, send somebody. I'm now praying, here's a need, Lord, send me. In Jesus' name. Father, you know who's praying. You know what's going on in our minds right now. And I just simply ask that you communicate your love and your grace to us and your power to take the next step. Because at the end of the day, we want to be worshipers, the kind you seek. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said together, amen. Amen. Would you stand with him this morning? So glad you guys were here today. The altars are going to be open after the service. People would love to pray with you today. Take advantage of that opportunity. If you made a spiritual commitment today, I really would love to know it. Take your Connect card. Take another one if you turned one in already. And give me your name and let us know about the commitment that you've just made. If you just started this journey, if today was the first time you ever prayed a prayer like that, then, then send me a hashtag new life at 72345. Let me know. You're just getting started in this journey. We want to help you take the steps on that journey. But at the end of the day, let's leave this place knowing that our call to be worshipers is not over. We've simply set the stage for who we're going to be for the rest of our lives. And I'll see you on Friday night at 6.30. Father, thank you that we can worship you and you will receive our worship as humble an offering as it is. Take us from this place and use us for your glory the building of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.